0: Both of our readings from God's word this morning, which will be the centerpiece of our worship service, as scripture is always the centerpiece of every Presbyterian service, come today from the New Testament. This first reading from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, where the Romans live, uh, focusing on uh, the law. And just as a reminder, the law in Paul's terminology really means the Bible. And in Paul's time, the Bible was the Hebrew Bible and what we call the Old Testament, the exact same collection of 39 books. Listen now for what the Spirit is saying to you and to the church this morning. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, irrespective of law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance, God had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what law? By that of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. The word of the Lord.
1: Today's Gospel reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Friends, this is the word of the Lord for which we say, thanks be to God. Please pray with me. God, we enter into this space and we open our hearts to you. We make space for your word and for the truth that you have planted and continue to cultivate in each one of our hearts and our minds and our spirits. We pray that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth would be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Although it doesn't much feel like it with the 80 degree and almost 90 degree weather from yesterday, October is here and actually it's almost fully gone. Fall is in full swing. We feel it outside. The schools are back in session. We've already had back to school night. We have our confirmation classes here at PCUM already in, uh, have started. And all the traditional markers for us for fall are out as well. The foliage this year is really beautiful with yellows and, and starting to turn in reds and, and oranges as well. Uh, many of you may have been pumpkin picking or apple picking. All of these are signs that the seasons are turning. And yes, yes. Of course, Halloween is almost here, and I hope that you all are among the group that give out only the good candy. Uh, We have a very divided society, but a very strong majority. Almost all of us can agree, in fact, that the kids deserve Halloween, even in the school system. But sometimes something gets lost in the mix The same day of Halloween also is the Day of the Dead, if you saw the movie Coco. It's the eve of All Saints Day. And a little over 500 years ago, it was the day that the Protestant Reformation started as well. October 31st is also Reformation Day. Now, for those of you who don't know the history, if there's any time in the year to tell it, it's this Sunday. It started with a monk named Martin Luther who spoke out against practices of the Roman Catholic Church that for Luther these practices were not about following Jesus. One practice in particular you might know about, but maybe not, uh, it was called paying indulgences. Essentially, what it was was charging people for the assurance that their loved ones would enter into heaven, that they would not get stuck in purgatory, and they would make it to the pearly gates and through the pearly gates. It was a spiritual quid pro quo, and what was especially awful about it was it wasn't just for the rich. It actually was sold to those who really couldn't afford it at all and played on their fears that their loved ones would not be okay if they didn't surrender the very little money that they had. The money was used for a new church building in Rome in the Vatican. Uh, and that's some capital campaign, isn't it? Pennies for heaven. Luther didn't start out as a priest intent on reforming things and taking on the pope out of all people this evolved over time at first as a young monk luther was very faithful but also suffered from intense anxiety about his salvation in the thralls of his anxiety he turned to scripture he turned to our law he turned to the bible and he studied it because he had the tools to do that, even though it wasn't in the, the common language. Uh, he, he knew the languages of the, of the Bible, and he was able to study. And he found through studying the book of Romans, which Greg just read from, that we are not saved by acts. We are not saved through our money. We are not saved through even our virtues. We are saved by grace alone. The more he studied, the more he became convinced of this, and the more objections he found with the practices of the church. It's not through the finances, but through faith. So he decided he was going to object, not in Uh, with an aim to create a new church but to reform from within and so he came up with objections 500 to be exact and he nailed them on the door of the Wittenberg Church in Germany the night before All Saints Day knowing that All Saints Day the next day there was a lot of foot traffic and that people would be coming to church and would see these objections on that very day. It all started with that act of protest, the the overhaul of the church, and eventually the formation of our Protestant churches. That's why we're called Protestants. That act of protest meant that a whole arm of the church formed. Under this assurance, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. That's exactly where we start with our gospel reading today. Jesus is teaching, and he drops that famous quote that many of us have heard, the truth shall set you free. For context, in this chapter of John, like in many of the gospels, we see the leaders of The Jews had just told Jesus that his testimony was not valid. They were pushing back against his teachings and against what he was preaching, and they weren't happy with him. We already know Jesus was a rabbi, and he had followers, and he didn't really fit the mold in the way that the religious leaders had hoped. He still believed in the law. The law was the foundation of that community of faith, but he pushed people to really dig into it and not to take it in a black and white way, but to let the law become part of them and reform them and transform them. He was speaking to the ones who believed in him. He told them, if you remain true to my word, You will truly be my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Truth, it seems, is controversial these days. We even saw that with Pastor Greg and and the kids uh, this morning. Uh, I also remember probably a decade ago now uh, the, the controversy over the white and gold Dress or the blue and black dress, and um, that all depended on perspective. By the way, it was blue and black. Look it up on the internet. <laughs> um, but looking back at Martin Luther and Jesus and other truth tellers, we know truth has always been unpopular. Recently, I rewatched the movie The Big Short before it goes off of Netflix. And uh, The Big Short is about people in finance who predicted the financial crisis of 2008. There weren't that many of them. Uh, The ones who did predict it made a lot of money. But the one line that stuck out in the movie was, truth is like poetry, and most people hate poetry. Father Richard Rohr, a Catholic priest in Albuquerque, New Mexico, would probably co-sign with that sentiment because truth often can be inconvenient and more often than not, it points to our own faults and it requires change. In this text, we hear Jesus talking about how sin can imprison us. It takes away our liberty. We are not fully ourselves when we are living in sin. Inevitably in life, I hate to be the one to tell you this if you don't already know it, we will mess up. We will fall down. We will not get it right. No one does it perfectly, and actually perfectionism can be the enemy of the good you might think it's bad news but actually it's just reality none of us get a pass none of us do it all right although sometimes we get addicted to thinking that we're right and thinking and being certain that we know what we're doing it's how we deal with these moments of falling down, though. That's what marks us. That is what shows our character and who we belong to. In the suffering and that separation from God and from others and from ourselves, in that suffering, we also have an opportunity, an invitation, even, to change and to transform. Or else, To not change, we can continue in the status quo. That's easier. That's the path of least resistance. The truth will set you free, but it does not mean it's easy. It's actually very difficult to live in the truth. Father Richard says it like this, before the truth sets you free, it tends to make you miserable. I remember one particular priest that I met in Nicaragua a few years ago. Uh, You all, I'm going to talk about something extremely Presbyterian right now, so just bear with me. Uh, I was on a study team for the General Assembly that came out of, uh, uh, basically, a resolution that we as Presbyterians needed to study the migration crisis on our U.S.-Mexico border that was originating from Central America. And we, Presbyterians, love to study things, and I think that's something really beautiful about Presbyterianism is we like to think about things before we act, that's sometimes why we're called the frozen chosen, Um, sometimes we get too set in studying and meditating, um, and we don't necessarily act, but in this case, it's really important to understand the context and to look beyond whatever news channel you watch and their interpretation of what's happening on the US-Mexico border. So I was on this study team with four other people. We did two trips to Central America and we talked to all of the stakeholders. I like to say all, there are probably some we didn't talk to, but we did a lot of interviews. And we went to five different countries And one of those countries was Nicaragua. Nicaragua, as we say in English, uh, is a population of six million people. For those of you who don't know much about Nicaragua, that's less than the state of New Jersey. In 2018, April of 2018, something really awful happened in Nicaragua, and it, it has to do with the dictatorship that's quietly taking over in this particular country. There were demonstrations by students against the government after uh, they had proposed changes to the social structure. And on the 18th of April, the government turned on its own people, and though the numbers vary according to the sources, Around 325 people died over the next couple of years, and many were displaced from their homes. Between 80,000 and 100,000 fled to Costa Rica for refuge. Today, we're still seeing the effects. You will still hear people talk about the crisis that we have on the border, and uh, there's still a lot of people who are hurting in that region. A lot of refugees who are leaving that area are even still arriving to places like New Jersey. While I was in Nicaragua with this study team that I was serving on, we met with a Catholic priest. His name was Father Chepe. And actually there was a a segment on him on NPR that you can look up if, if you're interested. But Father Chepe teaches at the University of Central America. And he was there on the day that the government turned on the students and started shooting and injuring and killing the protesters. He stood with those students, and as a result, has been told to be careful by the government. And also, he's been told by the church to be careful about what he says. He's received many, many death threats as a result of standing with those students. In our conversation with him, we asked, Father Chepe, you have connections in the U.S. Why are you staying here in Nicaragua? And he said, yes, I fear for my life, but people are dying here every day. I find hope in the people I walk with. Those mothers of the students who were killed, their strength, they give me hope. I need to be here to walk with them. I don't want them to walk alone. It's a pretty desolate situation in which you have to scrape to the bottom, the very bottom of the Grey Poupon bottle to find a mustard seed of hope. But Father Chepe finds hope in his community and he knows that community is really at the center of faith. We all must confront evil We all must confront sin, even if the injuring party is not owning up to their side of the conflict. Father Chepe's faith commands that he do the uncomfortable, the inconvenient, even the dangerous. We as a team ask Chepe, what scriptures sustain you through all of this? He might have gone with Psalm 23 or Psalm 46, but without blinking, he said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Today, we overhear Jesus speaking to all of us and telling us he is the truth. He's the way and he is the life. (laughs) Following Jesus' teachings, his word, That leads us to learn about ourselves, even the parts of ourselves and the parts of our community that maybe we don't want to see and maybe we don't want to know about ourselves. But Jesus does not leave us there. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we also have grace. And grace picks us up where we are, where we've fallen, Grace tells us that we can grow. Grace tells us that we belong in the kingdom of God. Grace tells us that we can bring other people too. You won't get it all right. I promise you that. We're not alone. We're never, ever alone. Jesus is our guide. Jesus is with us. Following him means that we're never going to stay the same. We must evolve. Yes, we must transform. If you follow his word, you will know the truth. The truth might unveil inconvenient things. The truth might command you to change. Yes, it's true. The truth shall set you free. As we move into stewardship season, It's a time to reflect on what is true here at PCUM. None of us are ever going to spiritually manipulate you to give money to the church. There's no quid pro quo. You can't give any amount of money to get spiritual favors. That's not how this works. Stewardship is about grace. Stewardship is about a response to the love that we receive, that we are rooted in. Stewardship is about giving thanks for this community that has nurtured your faith. It's giving thanks for this community that we don't have to walk alone, and actually we cannot walk alone. Stewardship is about holding each other accountable. Stewardship is about calling each of us into confession and forgiveness. Stewardship is about learning about the truth, being rooted in the truth, and letting the truth set us free. Stewardship points us to Jesus. We give thanks for the things that are true about this community. God is here. God is love. We are called to that work of love and forgiveness for all the days of our lives. Sin exists, but grace is bigger. Truth makes us free. In this season, this is a time to reflect on investments we all need to make to continue this work. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet God's work here in the world, constantly is evolving. You feel it. You feel it in here, and you feel it when you leave here. There's so much work left to do. This is a time to reflect on your own story and what God is doing within you. This is a time to listen to other stories, because those stories are part of our collective story. This is a time to discern where God is in all of it and how we respond faithfully, not just financially, but I should say this, yes, financially. The easy part is making the pledge. The much bigger ask is that we give not only that portion of our treasure, but our very lives themselves. We respond in that way with our whole beings Jesus tells you tells us if we follow him we will find the truth and the truth shall set you free not just once but over and over again it may be convenient but how is that truth speaking to you today in the name of the truth the one who was and is and is to come Amen.